Hey, good evening, and welcome to Bass Squad Radio, or morning, or afternoon, whatever time you guys want to listen to this. Uh, this is the fourth episode, and uh, I'm going to get to some cool topics tonight, hopefully. Uh, just a little quick update. Last night, I don't know if anybody caught it, but the uh, creationism debate was on last night, and I don't know if any of you guys are complete nerds, but uh, Bill Nye versus Ken Ham. It was pretty awesome. Um, it's about two, two and a half hours long. If you guys want to check that out, I would. It's online. It should be at, uh, I think it's called debatenow.com. But I'm not going to get into, like, which side I believe or any of that. If you guys want my opinion, ask. Um, yeah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and start. We don't have any sponsors yet, so <laughs> don't have any advertising to do. But, um, yeah, I'm going to get the, this podcast rolling uh, first off, we have like a question on our email. We got a couple of emails again, which I obviously thank all of you guys for doing and helping out with this. We got some Twitter interactions and some and an interview that I kind of want to try and paraphrase. And it was a pretty good topic, I think. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, so the question is, knowing that you are heading to a very pressured lake to fish, what is your plan of attack? Is it going to be more power fishing or finesse? And by the end of the day, if you don't get a fish in the boat, do you consider the outing a failure? There's a few questions and few trains of thought there, and I'm going to take on all of them. Um, my personal, well, okay, so if the lake is super pressured, you want to do your absolute best to find something or some little nuance that nobody else is doing. I mean, I'm all for jumping into a crowd and fishing on top of people, but, you know, the satisfaction for me isn't there if I do win that tournament or do well in that tournament knowing I was doing the same thing everybody else was doing. I mean, unless you can find something completely unique like Kevin Van Dam did in the Delta Classic. Um, but, yeah, I, I generally you want to downsize, and that's what – the mainstream thought process is is if the super leg is super pressured then you downsize um i i can't really speak for uh for everywhere because lakes up here in wisconsin and lakes down south are just the regional differences in lakes are so vast that something that may be great up here may not apply down there but okay so for, for finesse fishing if you are drop i mean i would say i like to drop shot sometimes so if it's a super pressured lake, maybe drop shot a little bit. But, you know, there's another train of thought saying that if it's like a high pressured lake in, in terms of boat traffic, sometimes, especially on those southern reservoirs, the uh, high-speed boats flying by you all the time can actually stir up fish and start a frenzy. So crankbaits really work during that time. Um, as far as what to look for, I just look for little unique things with the lake. I mean, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and just tell this story quick. I I kind of came to the realization last year, especially in natural lakes, that natural heavy pressured lakes, that I actually think way outside the box and don't go super deep and don't look for things that are just maybe sitting out in the middle of the lake that aren't necessarily affected by all the fishing pressure or all the boat pressure. I go as shallow as possible. Now, this was a middle-of-the-summer tournament last year, and I've done this multiple times since. It was a smaller lake, completely ridiculous with boat pressure, pleasure boaters mainly, and the lake was a little too small for the tournament field. And I actually went in 6 to 12 inches of water and was frogging. Now, 
this may not work all the time, but my thought process for that one was the fish are so used to getting hit on weed lines because that's what everybody in that tournament did that they're more protected by going super shallow. Now, this was in a smaller bay, and now, now the boat traffic wasn't all in there. So all, a lot of the, especially the bigger bites that we got were in 6 to 12 inches of water. Now, like I said, it's not something that you want to take to heart, take it with a grain of salt, but that's just something that I kind of pondered on, and it kind of makes sense. I mean, the fish don't want to get affected, so they just push up. Nobody's going to be there. And, I mean, we we did see a lot of bluegills back there, and, you know, we, we ended up taking third out of 60 in that tournament. So that was my uh, my observation, and, you know, anybody can do whatever they want. I, I, as much as, as far as going out, fishing in the crowd, just just do what you're best at. I don't think, I'm not a proponent to change up things based on what they're, you know, what everybody's doing. If they're biting for you, stick with it. So just get on, try to get on a pattern and just, just execute it. And definitely want to slow down, uh, I think is one of the main things in a pressured lake. But if I don't get a fish in the end of the boat, do I consider it a failure? Absolutely not. Um, you always, no matter what you do, if you catch fish or don't, you're always learning something. You, If you don't catch them at all, if you don't get on a good bite, you know what you didn't do. Ask around at the end of the tournament. A lot of people will actually be super nice about it and tell you what they were doing, and maybe you can change up what you're doing the next time. So, yeah, don't don't look at it as a failure. It's never a failure. Just keep uh, Just keep grinding, and you'll, I mean, that's just what the sport's all about. So, now somebody else asked if small boats are really a disadvantage because, especially being a young angler, um, a lot of us have smaller boats than maybe, you know, some of the older guys or some of the season tournament guys. Yes and no. Um, up here with the lakes are kind of small and the rivers and stuff that we fish that are skinny water, small boats really do not give you a disadvantage aside from maybe not getting to the spot fast enough, but the lakes, especially the rivers, there's so much water that it really doesn't matter, and especially in the smaller lakes, no, it doesn't matter. I don't think, I mean, I've fished out of a tracker my whole life, and I still own it to this day. I mean, I'm looking to upgrade a little bit, you know, fishing little bigger bodies of water. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think a small boat gives you a disadvantage whatsoever. Um, it's all in your head, really. If you think you have a disadvantage, well, guess what? You got a disadvantage. Uh, I've kicks, uh, I mean, I've done some very major damage on the Mississippi river with my tracker. And I remember one tournament in particular, um, I actually, it was a two-day tournament, and I actually had won by over seven pounds because I got into a, a spot that, that nobody was able to get back into. And I sat there and cracked on fish all day. And that that one was, that was one of the best, you know, tournaments I've ever fished, but it, it was primarily because I had a small boat. And so just, just keep fishing. I mean, your boat, your, your equipment is, I don't know, it's just a tool. You're, you're the, essentially the person who uses the tools. So don't focus too much on having a small boat, but, uh, it's not really the size that matters, guys. Um, but yeah, no, no, the bad version of of my story is about, or bad version of having a small boat is that when you happen to be fishing a super large reservoir or something like that, your boat is a disadvantage. Not necessarily to get you to spots because there's you can get to spots. I mean, whether it take you an hour, whether it take you thirty minutes, it, it's all. I mean, 
you got to do what you got to do. You got to work with what you got to work with. But now in the rough water is a major problem, especially with an aluminum boat like I have. I remember I had my first college fishing tournament down in, in Lake Dardanelle. Um, geez, that was 2009, I believe, in 2010. And I had only been to a few southern reservoirs, and this one was the first time I had ever brought my boat down there. So I go out there in my tracker, and it was fine all four practice days, but, and, you know, I we, we got on a sweet pattern, and... You know, obviously the fish shit out on us the first day, so we didn't weigh. We only weighed one fish in the first day, but the second day there was. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Lake Dardanelle, but there was winds shooting straight out of the northeast or northwest, I believe. So it was just ripping down the middle of the, down the middle of the lake. So we were on the one end, one, the other end of Dardanelle where the launch was at the I think Dardanelle State Park, and I mean we were fishing in three footers. And we had to get back, and I trying to explain this the best I can, but we actually had to ride the crest of the waves to get back. And every time we we kind of jetted underneath and between the, in the troughs, you couldn't see on either side. And we almost hit a boat. And I remember my, one of my buddies actually hit, he hit a wave real hard, and he had a tracker too at actually. And his partner got almost ejected, and he actually had to hold hold him to keep him falling out. So we actually had to cut our day short, and that was a major. We were at a major disadvantage with having a smaller boat on that in that instance. But you know, you can't always control the weather, and you just kind of keep fishing. I mean, stuff like that's going to happen. Stuff's going to break down on you. Your motor's going to shit out. You know, it. You just gotta just keep your head about you all the time. Now, another thing that I kind of was thinking about considering the ice up here is 30 inches thick. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to talk about kind of like cold water fishing because the Classic is clearly shaping up to be going to be a cold water tournament. I don't think it's going to affect the fish. As I said before, It's the fish are going to be big still, still Gunnersville. Um, but now when you're fishing cold water, I think you generally want to stick to uh, – like fishing extremes, whether that be slow, ultra slow, or ultra fast. Now, a lot of guys don't subscribe to that theory, but I firmly do. Um, you know, just because the fish re- are more prone to to extremes in that condition. Um, like, so if you're going to go slow, make sure you crawl that football jig or whatever you're throwing. Crawl it. And I mean dead, like, as slow as you possibly can th- think about fishing it, you fish it slower. If you pause it for, if you're throwing a jerk bait, pause it for as long as you think. Pause it for another ten seconds. Keep it paused. Now, I am not that type of guy. I've done it before with a football jig. I can I can work a football jig okay, but with any other technique, I am so bad at fishing slow. So I end up always going extra fast. Now, don't always catch fish, but generally, for whatever reason, when you do catch a fish burning a bait or something like that, when it's really cold. They're going to be big. And now I, I'm not going to try, sit here and try and speculate as to why that is, but I do, I do believe that uh, they're, they're, it's, it's just a fact for me. I mean, the fish are, we're, are always bigger when you catch them in super cold water and you're burning something. Now you don't get as many bites, but average size is a little better. Now don't take that for what it's worth also. Take it like a grain of salt. I'm not an expert. I don't ever claim to be. But I remember 
we were, I was fishing a tournament that had a super high warming trend, like way earlier than normal up here. And the lakes were actually um, in the 50s in late March, which is ridiculous. So all the fish pushed up in super shallow water. Well, then, well, then a cold snap hit, and the water dropped to 38, 39. Well, those fish were still shallow, so I kept frogging because I was catching them in practice frogging, and it turns out that I was catching them both burning the frog and casting it and legit, I mean, it was 38-degree water temperature, 39-degree water temperature in the morning, legit casting it out, skipping it up against the bank, and pausing it there until the ripples were gone. So keep it paused completely, and then once that happened, I would just burn it back. Now, honestly, most of my bites were as soon as I, that first crank of the reel when I, when I changed it up a little bit and went a little faster, and it was all reaction. I mean, those fish were up there, and you just got to trigger them to bite. So those are my, that's my little fishing and extremes spiel. <clears throat> now, okay, so the topic of bass clubs was has been brought up a couple times between us and bass, and bass squad, and now we kind of disagree on this fact, but uh, if it, it, there's a lot of things where you can just have two trains of thought now. Now, bass clubs are great for the sport, and I firmly believe in them, but... I mean, it's going to get you camaraderie. It's going to get you contacts, 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 which is one of the most important things in this sport, not even just for spots, but for, I mean, I try not to listen to as many people as possible when it comes to, like, spots and that. But, no, I mean, there's there's nothing better than, than bass club buddies. I mean, it really there really is, and I, I can't think of anything any better. But let's say you're trying to make it as a professional fisherman. I mean, bass clubs are good for people that are looking for tournament fishing but aren't exactly pursuing a career in it or pursuing anything major. It does get you experience, especially if you're in, inexperienced. It's a great way to start. And now this is where I, I believe that. Another guy doesn't necessarily subscribe to that. They think it's more of a of a dead end type of thing where you may be the greatest stick in the world in your bass club, but then your eyes open up pretty wide once you get to that next level. And that's definitely the truth. And also the outlets to make it to the next level aren't always there when it, when it comes to a bass club. I mean, there's state, a few guys have succeeded in it with whether it be Brandon Polinick or Ike. I mean, obviously those are the main guys and those are the, some of the best fishermen out there. And so you, you got to take that with for what it is. And bass clubs, they're a benefit, I believe. I mean, any time you can get on the water and fish in a competitive atmosphere, it's a, it's a great thing. And everybody's got to start somewhere. So do I suggest joining the bass club? Yes. Should you stay there if you're, if you're going to eventually pursue something? Probably maybe not. Um, Get yourself into some opens, into some higher-end tournaments as a co-angler maybe. Um, definitely, 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 if you're in college, fish college, the college circuit. You, I mean, college fishing to me was the, one of the, the most, not one of the most, the most beneficial thing in my entire life. Now, 
I opened up as a person because of it. I opened up as an angler because of it. I learned so much because of all the people that we talked, we sat around. Like I said, we sat or, sit around and drank all the time and not all the time, but like at, at people's apartments and stuff, sat around and talked and told bass fishing stories and had a great time and learned about other people, learned about different techniques, fished with a ton of different people. That's a major thing is fish with as many people as you possibly can. As well as the exposure. I mean, it was a life dream for me to be on television. And I was in on television very quickly, mainly because, you know, being up on from Wisconsin, all the tournaments we fished were down south, and we always got recognized at least for the amount of miles we drove. So anything. I mean, we got exposure real fast. And, you know, you got to learn on the fly, too, because those cameras, once they get in your face, you tend to freeze up. So I would suggest practicing what you're going to say, especially if you're fishing a major tournament, because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, Adam and I happened to stumble upon some good fish day one of the tournament. We didn't even have that much going in practice. We had a general idea on Lake Louisville in the National Championship. What uh, what we were going to do, we, we knew what we were going to use, but we get to our spot, and it was just blown completely. The wind was too high. It was pushing us into the water. There was too much, too many shad there. We weren't on a shad pattern, really. So we ended up moving and stumbled on another spot. And we weren't prepared. After day one, we were sitting in really good position, and then we ended up taking fifth after day two, and we ended up getting interviewed and stuff like that. So, you know, it, you got you got to always be prepared. And so college fishing, is BASS, whether, whether it be BASS, Boat US, um, FLW, all those circuits are just amazingly good for the average college angler. So highly suggest joining a bass club in college. Um, yeah, so I think I'm going to jump into the uh, one of the main parts that I wanted to hit this podcast. Um, we're already 20 minutes in, so just get to it right now. Uh, I brought up the topic um, to someone some girl on Twitter, and she was very nice and receptive. And I asked her questions about being what are, what it's like to be a female angler in the in the primarily, I mean, no denying it, male dominated sport. Now there used to be a women's bass tour, and there isn't anymore. So the opportunities are even more limited for someone. And I mean, what I asked, she was really nice about it, and she's telling us that, telling me that. To get, she generally gets a 60-40 reaction, whether 60% positive and 40% negative. Now, I couldn't believe that when she said that. I mean, I can't, I, would, I, no, I shouldn't say that. I can believe that, like I've been saying for this whole time. It's, it's a rooted type of thing, a rooted sport. And women represent change just like anybody else represents change. It's not always accepted. And women aren't always taken seriously, especially in fishing. I mean, I've been guilty of it. I, one time, I remember fishing a big bass tournament down, or, yeah, and this chick totally, she won twice, won two series, or won two uh, sessions. And I, I, mean, I really opened up my eyes, and then I started to wonder and think, and it's like, well, you know, fishing isn't exactly a, you know, the men don't have a, any real advantage as far as physical limitations or mental limitations, like, like other sports, maybe like, uh, 
like a basketball where strength and reaction time and stuff like that is clearly an advantage for males. Fishing isn't like that. So I I think that it'd be great for women to get in, involved in the sport. Now, now uh, she was saying how much of a difference there is between your average girl that goes with her boyfriend or husband and girls that are serious about the sport. Now, I, I don't know. I want to just stress that nothing's wrong with either one, especially, I mean, if a chick is going with their, with their husband or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that, but there is definitely a difference. Now, how can you tell the difference? I mean, you just got to have, it's a gut feeling. I, you, you can tell when a chick's just, a, you know, a girl's just there just to be there, just to support, which is nice, but don't think that's what every single woman is. Now, that was one of her main points. Every single girl isn't, you know, this chick that just wants to sit in the back and suntan and hold a, hold a, hold a rod in the back. You know, not every girl's like that, especially when it comes to tournament fishing. So, you know, she was saying also that, uh, you know, when her friends are going out and stuff like that, hanging out the bar, she's at home studying Bassmaster, finding every single advantage she can over the guys. Now, that kind of struck me as, you know, pretty sweet. And she was saying that she may have to work twice or three times harder than than men to get into the sport. And I kind of agree with that. But, you know, there's really two trains of thought when it comes to this. Now, I'm going to say these are hot button questions and I'm just going to speak as honestly as I can. I'm not going to be politically correct about this or anything like that. So take it for what it is. I'm not trying to be an asshole or anything like that. But I, the first train of thought is that a woman has got to be five times better than the average pro male just to get noticed. Now, I don't want that to strike anybody as whatever, but that's just the way it goes. A girl, sometimes a, a woman is just looked at differently and it's just, it's it's the truth. Now, I kind of relate it, try to relate it, bring it to something a little bit more that you can see. Like, Muggsy Bogues, I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but he was a NBA player, and he was only, I mean, he had, to, at his position, he had to be head and shoulders. <laughs> head and shoulders, I mean, if you pardon the pun, he's only five foot three and he played in the NBA, but he had to be just so much better than the average ball handler just to make it, just to be noticed. Now, that's kind of like if somebody wants to switch hit in baseball. If you want to switch hit, you better be pretty damn good at a, as a right-handed hitter if you want to try left-handed too. Now, I think that, that that holds water for sure, that women in the sport are at a disadvantage, and for some guys to take them seriously, they're going to have to get out there and win a tournament, which she is striving to do if I caught uh, caught that drift pretty good in the in the conversation we had but um yeah I mean and the other train of thought is kind of how you know it's also a thing that holds water that a woman might not necessarily have to be even close to as good as a guy um personally I think sponsors would throw huge sums and definitely throw themselves at women that are breaking in and being noticed. I mean, they may be just as good as the average guy, but you know what? Those guys, if it, if it be your run-of-the-mill guy, fisherman, and your run-of-the-mill, or and a girl's in there with that guy, they're the same skill level if you want to break it down that way. I tend to think they're going to choose the women in that aspect sometimes. I mean, I, I mean, it's, 
it, it's it's hard to, it's hard to say which one is the actual truth, and you know that's why it was really nice to talk to somebody that had a female perspective doing this, and I really think that a woman in that on the tour would be huge for the sport, just like I said before about like Ish winning the classic. It'd be great for a black angler to win the win the classic because it would just grow the sport that much more. A woman, it, I mean, remember how much golf lost their mind when Annika Sorenstam was competing on the LP or the PGA Tour. It was. It was like major news, and not that I'm relating fishing because golf is obviously way more popular. But all kind, all eyes were on her. Now it wasn't exactly like that when the classic, when Pam Martin Wells and her Kim Bay Moore was qualified. They they really didn't get that much publicity because let's be real. I mean, guys, they want to see the guys who are doing well, and they want to see the person who's doing. It. And unfortunately, neither one of them were doing that great in those classic. I mean, Pam Martin Wells that qualified the second day which was pretty sweet, but, you know, if you're not in the top three, especially, or if you're not making a huge run, you're not going to get noticed. So I think if a girl qualifies legitimately through the Opens or something like that, it would be major news, and she would get followed, actually. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that would be great for the sport. Um, I'm going to try to, like, tie up her main point, and I firmly agree with it, too. It, to put time in and sacrifice things if you want to be successful, and that trans, transcends bass fishing, you gotta you got to really be dedicated, and you got to make sacrifices. you got to work your ass off to get there, no matter what you want in your life. It, it, it's, it's so true, and, and it might be even more for women to get into the sport, just to be noticed. I mean, <laughs> I do, there was this other thing that I kind of brought up jokingly, but... Who, who's to say it's not? I mean, sex sells in every other industry. Why wouldn't it sell in fishing? Now, looking at it from more of a conservative standpoint, it, it, it'd be harder to break in. But, I mean, look at Reaction Innovations. They have, I mean, I don't know what it is. It looks like strippers on their bags. But it, it those, those aren't, don't sell because of that, but that's just an example. But I think I think it'd be good for the sport. It, it'd busted in the mainstream if, you know, some super hot model was advertising fishing or something like that. You know, it'd be great. Uh, but, yeah, just to get back on the topic of working your ass off to get somewhere and soup and really trying. I remember watching, jeez, uh, I, I really can't remember what it exactly was, but it was an interview with Gerald Swindle, and he was asked something along the lines of uh, how he made it or how you can make it, and he was really blunt in saying, you got to try and the guy kind of asked him to elaborate. He goes, don't tell me you tried until you're on the side of the road sleeping in your truck. Now, I'm paraphrasing. I probably butchered that to death. But, but I mean, he's saying you got to put your heart and soul into something if you really want to uh, make it in this, in this industry especially. Because it's not a lucrative industry. It's not at all. I mean, those guys that are hitting low 90s on their tournament finishes, they're not – they're not breaking even. I mean, gas is expensive. Boat gas is expensive. And the payouts aren't that great right now. I mean, relatively they are, but to the entry fees, they're really not. <clears throat> and until that someone breaks out and turns it into a mainstream sport, it's going to stay that way. So if you want to make it in this industry, you've got to really bust your ass. And I'm starting to realize that I'm not trying to necessarily jump into the professional circuit quite yet, but... 
you really got to put time in if you want to do anything, especially especially in this such a niche market, and not a lot of people do it. Now I don't know if it's different down south. I'm sure. I mean, it is. I went through a goddamn parade my first time down there, and I I was like, what world am I in? Uh, but yeah, I mean, that pretty much wrap up that. And I want to thank Kate Natillo for supplying me with that information and she was really cool about it uh you can follow her on twitter at kate underscore datillo <clears throat> hit her up and tell her you enjoyed the podcast if you did <laughs> but yeah so now i uh kind of was joking around about my with my buddies about doing a fake instructional video <laughs> of uh eating habits now I don't know. I try to stay healthy in my life, but for whatever reason, I can't function unless I got my gas station hamburgers, my power bars, my Gatorade, my Red Bull, and a lot of guys smoke and chew. I don't do either of those things. But it's just like I can't. I can't even believe. To, I can't imagine to see. I don't know how we can function on that for a week straight. I remember reading in. Uh, Ike's book, Fishing on the Edge, that he goes to McDonald's and buys X amount of orders of chicken nuggets and just reheats it all week. I mean, it's kind of disgusting, and I can't, I cannot believe that more of us are just totally unhealthy people. I mean, we are, but, but yeah, we were kind of trying to joke around about a video about how, you know, you really need your sugar to keep you going all day. You need to make sure you get your caffeine, your nicotine, all that to make sure you're a good, healthy, get a good, healthy eight hours of fishing in. Now, people look at me and think I'm crazy when I try to tell them that. I mean, even Aaron Martins, who's a freak when it comes to fish or fitness, do you burn more calories fishing for eight hours than you do running for? I don't even remember. But you burn an insane amount of calories thinking, standing, and casting. So, if somebody can get out there and become a professional dietitian for fishermen, I think that they would be so well received. Or if you do, let me know how to do that on fast food or because it's not easy to, cause especially in some of the bumfuck towns you fish, it's not easy to find a grocery store and prepare meals, especially in a hotel room on your on a budget nonetheless. So if there's a way to somehow <laughs> eat healthy at gas stations and quickie marts and Whatever. I would love to know about it. So if you got any word on that, please email us and that'd be kinda cool little segment to do. Um but nobody's gonna listen either because I know <laughs> I know everybody with their superstitions. I need to have a Red Bull and I need to have a uh like a, a protein bar every every before every tournament. Now I know all my other buddies have the same thing. One of my buddies has to drink chocolate milk before every tournament. It's just it's weird things. And I'm not really a superstitious guy, but to get into the mindset every time, I like to be consistent. And I think that doing that kind of stuff keeps me consistent when I'm on the water. So let's see what time we got here. 31 minutes. Okay. I'm going to tell a story or not tell a story. I'm going to read a story and I'm going to keep this one anonymous, but, uh, Fair warning, it might be disgusting because I got the subject line, which I'm not going to read. But, yeah, so I'm going to just go ahead and do it. Um, 
I entered a state tournament as a co-angler. I was fairly new to tournament fishing, even though I have been fishing since birth. I am very new to tournaments at this time. Thinking I would draw some badass stick on some local water and learn them some things, I drew this guy at the pre-tournament re- meeting. We meet, shake hands, and start to see what each other has up our sleeve of the tournament that starts in the morning. As it turns out, this guy has fished two tournaments ever before this one. He has a brand new Stratus with a big fucker, <laughs> like 21 foot long, 250 Merc on the back with about 10 grand in rods and reels on the deck when I show up the next morning at the ramp. Yeah, I've seen that guy plenty of times before. Trust me. We take off and it's, the wind is blowing like hell and he is full throttle, trimmed all the way up and the <laughs> damn near bounces me out of the boat several times on the run to the spots that we picked to start. During that boat ride, I asked him to trim her down a little to soften the ride a little since he has no fucking clue how to run a boat in rough water. <laughs> we get to the spot near the steep bank and hits me. I gotta take a shit. <laughs> I asked him if he has any toilet paper on board. He says, no, why would you ever need it? Well, bro, for future reference, never leave the ramp without toilet paper for this reason. He takes me to the bank. I step off and try to climb this bank. And lo and behold, I swip and do a back roll into the water. I stand up, climb the hill, and take a shit up towards the top of the hill. I make my way down and we start fishing. Over the next few hours, he doesn't say a word, but every now and then he looks back and just stares at me. <laughs> Finally, I said, what's bothering you, bro? He says, nothing. I said, bullshit, what's up? He says, I don't want to ask, but how did you wipe your ass? <laughs> I told him I took my knife and cut my underwear off and wiped it, wiped it, because you don't have to have any toilet paper. Now my balls are stuck. <laughs> he was completely mortified. Didn't say a word the rest of the day. Still see him, see him at tournaments, and he never talks to me to this day. We are both boaters now, so we, so we never will draw out again. Unfortunately. Two morals of the story. Never assume that somebody is a better fisherman than you just because they can afford to pay a boat or entry fee and always have toilet paper in the boat. Dude, that is brutal honesty, and I love it completely. Now, that is a t- <laughs> that's the type of story that you tell to your buddies all the time. And we have a thousand stories like that that we tell to our buddies at the time. Now, that's the thing I want to kind of reiterate with this podcast that, oh, excuse me, I guess I'm going through puberty at 24 years old, my bad. <clears throat> um, go through this podcast that uh, we, we won't want you to hold back at all. Like, that's the kind of funny things. Those things happen to you. It happens. You can't, you can't deny that. And I'm sure everybody's gone through similar things like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, jeez. There's times where I literally switch drivers. Now this is I don't condone this, but in the middle of the night sometimes you get you get super tired and especially driving down some of those back roads or down the main road main highways uh through like the plains or whatever. There's no like shoulder or anything and there's no gas station. So one time I was driving or my partner was driving and I wake up, we switch off every couple hours because we generally just drive right through the night, save a little money on hotels. Um, I wake up and my partner is like with his head down, not sleeping, but he is totally zoned. And I wake up and I'm just like, dude, are you all right? He goes, no, not. He goes, I think I just hallucinated a bunch of cats running across the street. (laughs) 
so I said, well, you want to switch? He goes, yeah, there's nowhere to go. Well, there was no one on the road. We got kind of in the middle of the road between the two lanes, between uh, oncoming traffic and whatever. And I'm saying it again, don't do this. This is retarded and stupid. But he throws it in con- new, uh, cruise control. I grab the wheel. He jumps in the back seat of the truck. I slide over. I take the wheel. He jumps in the front seat. We switch drivers while going 70 miles an hour with the boat on the back. Now, <laughs> like I said, I'm being honest with this thing, and I want you guys to stay honest. It's it's so much more fun to do that, and I'm not sticking it to anybody. I'm not. If you don't want to listen to us, don't listen to us. I haven't gotten any negative feedback, to be completely honest, and I thank everybody for that about uh, what we're talking about and the types of things we we uh we talk about on here so yeah uh dude sending that story that was awesome and you're the first dude that actually stepped out on a limb and uh was a man about things sorry to use that expression especially talking about women (laughs) this podcast but i'm gonna send you a a free promo t-shirt so if you want to hit us up with your address on our gmail account at Basquadcorp at gmail dot com. That'd be awesome. That was that was super cool. And you know we're gonna do that periodically. So if you have a great story like something like that, you never know. We might send you some stuff. We're kind of limited. I've sold a bunch, so we have a few left over. So send us your size, and we'll make sure we get that out to you. <clears throat> Let's see what's on the docket for the rest of the week. Um, not a whole lot. Um, gotta work for two more days and. Maybe do a podcast Friday or Saturday night. I'm still trying to see if Sensabaugh can have Gerald Sensabaugh can get some time out and come on the podcast. I I I, I really want to improve my uh, my stuff. I didn't know that this was going to be as fun as it is and as rewarding as it is to hear you guys like have your feedback and stuff like that. So I'm going to try to upgrade my equipment a little bit. Um, don't really know how I'm going to plan on making these calls. <laughs> so. So I'm going to grow just like, uh, I mean, as long as you guys keep listening, I'm going to keep doing it. So let me know if uh, I'm over over bombarding with these. I've gotten mixed reviews on that, but, you know, I was bored tonight and wanted to toss one out there. So, yeah, uh, I think I'll wrap her up, 38 minutes. That sounds about right. Like Generally, people like them around 45. If I'm not interviewing anybody, I'll keep them around 45 minutes. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's it, guys. Um, keep tweeting at us. Keep checking our Facebook. Check out our YouTube videos. Uh, we posted a couple new ones. We got a couple new tweets that are pretty funny out there. Um, if we get to 600 followers, well, I'm gonna not do that because in case people listen to this, I'm gonna slow down. So I'm gonna roll a little bit there. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Vine. I don't know if you guys have phones, but <laughs> smartphones. But Vine is something we have we have a little vine account so yeah check out our blog on wordpress it's the same thing as everything else check out profileoutdoors.com backslash basquad llc we got two new people under us so pretty awesome uh yeah um let me know because if you guys want you can come in on our conference calls uh that we have every tuesday so and you can hear uh some of the bigger guys in the industry talk about the company. So if you want to, want to do that, uh, just DM us or email us if you want to, I mean, to forward you that number. So, uh, yeah, wrapping her up. 
Uh, peace out, guys. I'll talk to you very soon.